Today's scripture reading is from Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 to 9. Uh, on the count of three, um, I'll invite you all to read along with me. Three, two, one. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. This is the word of the Lord. You all may be seated. I miss you all. And today we are about to conclude a series on Lifeline, prayer. And throughout the series, I've been telling you that the goal of this series is not for us to know more about prayer, but for us to pray more. And that is why for the very last sermon today, I want to make it extremely practical. Now, if you know me, this is not me. Okay, I'm usually not super practical. I try to be practical, but not super. But today, for today's sermon, I want us to be very practical. I want us to combine together everything that we learned about prayer in this series and then just put it into practice, okay? And especially, I want to talk about anxiety. Because prayer and anxiety, they're nemesis, okay? They are nemesis. So this sermon is for everyone who has problem with anxiety. How many of you have problem with anxiety? Can I see your hand? Okay. I think almost all of us, right? If you do not raise your hand, I know what's wrong with you. You're anxious about what others might think of you when you raise your hand. I think everyone has problem with anxiety. Or maybe another word for anxious is to worry. What's worry? Worry usually involves imagining the future in a worst-case scenario and then panicking about it. I mean, we do this all the time, don't we? I mean, we worry about our life. We worry about our family. We worry about our future, our finances, our job, our health. We worry about other people. We worry about what other people think about us. We worry about other people's dog. We worry about what other people's dog think about our dogs. We worry about yesterday. We worry about today. We worry about tomorrow. In short, we worry about everything, and not only that, but when we worry, we can't stop thinking about what we worry about. And the word worry or anxiety came from the concept of being choked or strangled. And that's what anxiety does, because anxiety choke us. It keeps us from functioning. What happens when we're anxious? Simple. We have less sleep, we're tired, we're cranky, we can't concentrate, and our body stands, right? And so it makes us feel like we're sick when we ought to be well. So how do you deal with anxiety? And if you go to a bookstore, you will see a lot of books on anxiety because this is a, top, a popular topic. Everybody wants to know how to deal with anxiety. People want to know how to deal with worry. 
And let me tell you the world's number one problem and the world's number one solution for anxiety. They say, say, they say this. You have to think positively. Do not waste your time thinking about the what-if scenario because nine out of ten what-if will not happen. What you need to do is to direct your attention and visualizing the positive and remove the negative from your life. Does that sound familiar to you? But let me tell you, even though there's some truth to it, it's not realistic because one out of ten things that we fear, that we're afraid about, still happen, right? So what happened when it happened and we're not ready for it? The other common answer is to go on vacation. Okay, the popular word for it is healing. Okay, so vacation does work temporarily. It does, let me tell you, if you're worried and you go on vacation, it does kind of suit your soul a little bit before you come back from holiday and start worrying about how to pay off the credit card bills. Breathing techniques and pill does help, but only momentarily. But do you know what does not work at all? What does not work at all is to be told to stop worrying. I mean, you experience that, right? Wife, I know you know what I'm talking about. Husband, listen up. I'm about to help you here. Wife, remember those times when you were freaking out about something, stressed out and worrying, and you tell your husband all about it? And he said, calm down, stop worrying. Did it help? No, it doesn't. In fact, in fact, it made you even more worried that maybe you married the wrong person. <laughs> Why? Because worry is an outward expression of a far deeper issue. It is only the symptom and not the disease. So worry is a condition of our heart, a fruit of a condition of our heart. Why do we worry? Here's why we worry. We worry because we have an intense desire for something. And we're afraid we're not going to get what we desire. So it is a hard issue. And the way we need to deal with worry, we need to deal with our heart. And that is why all the external solution that the world give us will not work because it only deal with the symptom and not the disease. So the question is, how then we deal with anxiety? And that is our passage for today. Paul is giving us the guard against anxiety. Now let me give you the context first because the context is extremely helpful for us. Do you know where Paul wrote the letter to the Philippians? He did not write it while he was staying at a beach house in Athens. He did not write the letter of Philippians while sipping his chai latte in Cafe Roma. See, Paul wrote the letter to the Philippians, you know where? In a prison. So he was not sure he was going to be alive the next day or not. He was not sure when he was going to be beheaded by his, for his allegiance to Christ. So Paul is a man who knew exactly what it means to be anxious to deal with worry. And at the end of the letter, Paul is giving them instruction on how to deal with worry. Paul gives them God against anxiety. And if I can sum up my sermon in one sentence, it's this. The God against anxiety is not the certainty of having what we desire, but the certainty of God's presence in our life. Okay? Let's look at it together. I have three points, um, how to guard against anxiety. First, pray about everything. Second, talk to the mind. And third, 
practice the truth. Let's look at the first one. Pray about everything. Verse 4 to 7. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. Now, Paul begins with a sentence that does not make sense at all because he said, rejoice in the Lord, how long? Always, again I would say, rejoice. And this, in the original language, is not a suggestion, this is a command. Paul is commanding every Christian to rejoice always. To which some of us may say, Paul, you're not making any sense here. You're not living in the real world because there is no way for me to rejoice always. I mean, don't you know what's been happening around me? Can't you see how awful my circumstances are? Like my spouse shitter on me, my children walk away from God, my business is not doing well, my doctor told me I need an operation. What do you mean by rejoice always? Are you kidding? Before we dismiss Paul as some guy who's not in touch with reality, remember the context. Paul was writing from where? Prison. So Paul has experienced suffering and unjust treatment more than all of us combined. But he still commands us to rejoice always. Here's what we must get. Joy is not the same as happiness. Now, a while back, a few years ago, Pharrell Williams wrote a song that made everyone dance and clap their hand. Remember that song? Like, I can't sing it. I just can I can only sing because I'm happy, because the next part, I clap along. If you feel like a room without a roof, I don't know how to sing that part. Because then, because I'm happy, then they say what? Clap along if you feel like happiness is the truth. Now, let me tell you, it is a very happy, catchy song that made even Presbyterians want to clap their hand and dance. It is. Because this song speaks to the universal human desire to always be happy. But here's the problem. It is not possible. Because happiness always depends on circumstances. You understand this? Happiness comes from the comfort of having what we want. We're happy when things turn out the way we want, and we're not happy when things do not turn out the way we want. And therefore, happiness is circumstantial. But joy is different because joy is a deep kind of rejoicing that is constant and not based on circumstances. And that is why Paul said, rejoice in whom? The Lord. Which means, get this, joy is not rooted, joy is rooted not in ever-changing circumstances, but in the unchanging God. Joy is constant because it comes from our relationship with God, not having what we want. In other words, to rejoice in the Lord is to always value God so much that nothing else matters. He is our joy. Now, it doesn't mean that we're always happy and clapping our hands. But it does mean even when we have no reason to be happy and clap our hands, our heart is at rest. Now, Tim Keller put it this way. To rejoice is to treasure a thing 
to assess its value to you, to reflect on its beauty and importance until your heart rests in it and tastes the sweetness of it. Rejoicing is a way of praising God until the heart is sweetened and rested and until it relaxes its grip on anything else it thinks it needs. That means if our heart is not at rest, it means something or someone else is more important to us than God. And that very thing cannot give us joy because it's always circumstantial, not constant. And then Paul continued to say, let your reasonableness be known everyone, the Lord is at hand. Now, the word reasonableness comes from a Greek word that is not easy to translate. But the idea is the opposite of being contentious and self-seeking. It means we are always gracious and easy to get along with others because we no longer seek our own self-interest, but the interest of others. Why? Because we know the Lord is at hand. We know God is close to us, present with us, concerned about us, and He will help us. And if we know that, we are free to serve other people. But when we're anxious, do you realize when you are anxious, you are very self-absorbed? Do you realize that? When you are anxious, your attention is on you, me, 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 me. And it will distract you from serving other people with graciousness. But do you know why you're anxious? Here's why. You forgot the Lord. We forget that we have God who is near to us. See, living anxiously is living as though God does not exist. I mean, we might be Christian, we might be here in church, but if we are constantly worried, it's called functional atheism. We may say with our mouth that the Lord is God, but something else is in our heart. Now, St. Augustine give amazing insight into anxiety. He asks this question. Why are you anxious? By the way, to be a little anxious, that's normal, okay? If you have no anxiety at all, you're not human. That means you don't care about anything. You don't have feeling. To be a little anxious means you care. But the question is, why are you overly anxious? Why can't you sleep at night? Why are you sleepless and why are you constantly filled with fear and worry? Okay, and here's what he said. Brilliant. He says this. All of us have things in our life that we think are important. And they're good things. Parents are good things. Children are good things. Career, they're good things. Family, they're good things. Relationship are good things. So all of us have good things that are important to us in our life. But when the good thing in our life have become the ultimate thing that we must have in order to be happy, then it no longer becomes important. It becomes treasure. It becomes idle. We seek them. We desire them. And we believe we can't be happy unless we have it. So when the good thing becomes the ultimate thing, that's when anxiety hits. So what he's saying is, anxiety is actually like a smoke that you can trace down to the fire. When we are overly anxious about something and we trace down the root of the anxiety, we will always find good things that have become the ultimate thing. At the root of our anxiety, we will find a counterfeit God that has become our treasure. We forget 
Now that is just the setup of my sermon. That's just the diagnosis of the problem. Then the question is, then how do we deal with anxiety? How do we guard against anxiety? Okay, this is what Paul said in verse six. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Here's the first step toward battling anxiety. The way to move from anxiety to peace, from worry to rest, is prayer. The way to not worry about anything is to pray about everything. Now, why pray? Because prayer reminds us that God is God and we're not God. And we are to bring our supplication and prayer to God. And Martin Luther famously said, pray and let God worry. Which God won't. Why? Because he doesn't have to. He knows the end from the beginning. He's never surprised by anything. But note, Paul not only tells us to bring our prayer and request to God, but he also says to do so with what? Thanksgiving. And this is important. This is the secret to prayer. Therefore, when we bring our request to God, we not only say, God, this is what I need. Please help me. That's good. But what Paul say, when we come to God, we're supposed to say, God, this is what I need. I bring my request to you, and I know you're good. And whatever you do in response to my request is good. I thank you for it. If I'm asking for something that might hurt me and you don't give it to me, I thank you for it. If you give me something that is opposite to what I ask, even though it's going to be difficult, I thank you for it. I'm not going to be happy, but I know I can trust you. I know you're a good God, and you will do what is right for my life. See, to bring our request with thanksgiving is a way to replace worry with faith. We're saying, God, I trust your all-wise, all-powerful, all-loving hand over my life. This is why prayer and anxiety don't go together. Let me put it to you. I, I stole this chart, chart from Sam Storm, okay? I do not make it this my own. I stole it from him. He says this, anxiety and prayer cannot go together. Because why? Look at it. If anxiety is rooted in self, prayer is rooted in God. If anxiety has narrow view of life, it is always problem-centered, Prayer is have expansive view of life. It is purpose-centered. If anxiety is horizontal focus, consumed with the surrounding, prayer is vertical focus, focus on God's power and resources. If anxiety means our circumstances control us, prayer means God controls our circumstances. If anxiety is expression of fear, prayer is expression of faith. See, when we're anxious, you know what is easy for us to do? It is easy for us to retreat into a corner and try to figure things out on our own. Isn't that what we do? But do you know what happened? We become more anxious. It is only when we bring the matter to God in prayer that we find release. It's like bowling. Have you ever watched a bowler after he or she released the ball? I used to play ball, bowling a lot, not anymore. But I've seen enough to see a lot of people do funny things, okay? I've seen people do a side lean, you know that? After they throw the ball, they do, they move to the side, hoping that by moving to the side, somehow the ball will go to the side. 
Some talk to the ball. Some kisses the ball. Some tiptoe. And some leap, right? But the fact is, no matter how they throw the ball, once they let go of the ball, nothing they will do will change the course of the ball. That's what prayer is. Prayer is releasing the ball to God. And once we release our worry, don't worry about it. Let God deal with it. And look at what happened next. Verse 7. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your mind in Christ Jesus. And this is the promise. When we pray about everything, the peace of God is guarding our hearts and mind in a way that no human heart, mind can comprehend. And I love the term, the peace of God. See, Paul does not simply say God will give us peace. Paul is talking about so much more than the peace that God gives. He's talking about the peace that exists in God himself. So what is promised for us is the very peace that God experienced. And that is why this peace is beyond all human understanding. It transcends all human comprehension. And this unexplainable supernatural peace will guard our hearts and mind. And the word guard in, in, in Greek comes from a military world. It means to take an army and surround a city with an army to protect it from invasion. And we, if we have an enemy protecting our city, it's what we do. We can sleep in peace. Why? Because there's an army protecting us from the enemy. And this is the promise God gave us. When we pray about everything, oh, the enemy is out there. The enemy still want to attack us with fear, worry, and anxiety. But the peace of God is our fortress. It will guard us from the enemy's attack so that we can sleep well at night. Now, I remember my very first time experiencing this supernatural peace is when I was diagnosed with leukemia. I remember this, my second night in the hospital. At first, I was extremely angry with God. I'm like, God, why would you let this happen to me? After five years of Bible college, is this how you're going to treat me? I was extremely anxious about my life. But then God opened my eyes to see how sinful I was, how prideful I was, and there I tasted the sweetness of God's grace. So I prayed to God and brought all my supplication to Him with thanksgiving, and then I fell asleep. And the next day, I kid you not, and I do not exaggerate, I can't explain what happened to me, but the very next day I woke up, I was at total peace. I had this strong confidence that God was with me and everything would be okay, even if I had to die. I will be okay. I experienced the peace of God that surpasses all human understanding. And listen carefully. We're not promised deliverance. We are promised peace of God. And this peace has nothing to do with us getting what we want. This peace is confidence and trust in God's wise and good control over our life, even if we do not get what we want. So that's the first step. Don't worry about anything. Pray about everything. But the second one, which is more interesting one, is talk to the mind. Verse 8. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, 
if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about this thing. So the second step on how to guard against anxiety is to talk to the mind. Why? Because here's what we know about human mind. Human mind cannot remain vacuum. Cannot. Something must fill the mind. That's why a vacation does not help. Because our mind still needs to fill with something after the vacation. So what we need to do is turn our minds from a thermometer to a thermostat. Now you guys know the difference between a thermometer and thermostat? A thermometer moves up and down based on the temperature around it, right? A thermostat influences and controls the temperature around it. So if our mind is a thermometer, it means we are controlled by our worry. We are controlled by what's happening around us. And if our mind, our thermostat, it means we're not controlled by what's happening around us, but we influence everything around us. Now here's the problem. Do you know what's our mind's default mode? Thermometer. So how do we turn our minds from a thermometer into a thermostat? Here's how. By talking to our minds. We have a choice. We can either talk to our mind or we can listen to our mind. Worry is listening to our mind. Peace comes from talking to our mind about God and His truth. And this is what Paul is saying. He wants us to think about whatever is true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable. If there's any excellent, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about this thing. Now, I know some of you are thinking, isn't this positive thinking? I mean, it sounds like one, right? And you're like, is Yoshi now teaching us the power of positive thinking? Has he gone to the dark side finally? Yes and no. Let me explain. Yes, what we think matters, and it matters more than what we think. Because the battle to turn a warrior into a worshiper happened mostly in the mind. So we can't expect God to guard our mind and to guard our mind and heart if we continue to fill our mind with junk. But no, this is not a positive thinking. Why? Because what Paul lists in this verse are characteristics that describe God. Think about it. Okay, let me go back to the first. God's word is the highest form of whatever is true. God's moral excellence is the definition of what is honorable. Just is whatever conforms to God's standard. Pure is to be free from to be free from the taint of sin, and only God is pure. Lovely is what evokes admiration in the heart, and there's nothing more lovely than God. Commandable are things that are good and appealing, and nothing is more commandable than the works of God. God is the source of everything excellent and worthy of praise. So what Paul's saying here is that he wants our mind to be constantly filled with God and His truth. Instead of exhausting our mental energy on the futile what if, what if, what if, focus our mind on God and His word. And this is how God guards our heart and mind by us filling our mind with God's truth. And this is not a one-time thing. Paul say, think about this thing. And it is the Greek word logizomai, which means to ponder and to give proper weight. And it is written in present tense, which means it is continuous, ongoing 
action. Here's what up. Every day when we wake up, we are given a choice. What are you going to fill your mind with today? The what if or the word of God? And we can't just read the word of God once. We have to continuously ponder upon it. Don Whitney described it like a tea bag. So imagine our life is a teacup with hot water, and the intake of the Word of God is that tea bag. Reading the Word of God once is like one dip of the tea bag into the cup. What happened? Well, some of the tea's flavor is absorbed by the water, but only a tiny bit. But the more frequently the tea bag enters the water, the more effect it has. So thinking about God's word continuously is like immersing the tea bag completely and letting it steep until all the rich tea flavor has been extracted and the hot water turns reddish brown. And this is the way God guards our heart and mind. So that means if we are Christian and we do not have the peace of God, then most likely we're not thinking rightly. We have let other things occupy our minds beside God's Word. We grow anxious when we fail to remember God's Word. We must talk to our mind instead of listening to our mind. Okay? Now, let me make it even more practical for us. Okay? How do you talk to the mind? Okay? Here's how. First, ask yourself, is this thought from God? That means you need to know God and His Word. Because it's really hard to discern whether this thought is from God or not if you do not know God and His Word. So the question is, do you know who God is? Do you know what God is like? Or maybe what you know about God is simply from Instagram Reel that you watch every morning and then you send it to me. Some of you do. All the bad ones. So if you know God and His Word, then you can know what is not of God. If you know God and His Word, then you maybe start to realize, hold on a second, this is not from God. Or maybe this is the enemy's attack. Or maybe it's the lie of the culture. Or maybe it's the false accusation for people around me. So the first step to is to ask whether this thought is from God or not. The second and the third, they goes together. First, second is open the Bible. Find a specific promise of God that deal with your situation. And third, ponder on God's word over your situation. Don't just read it once, but let the tea bag flavor the whole cup. Okay, let's put it into practice. I'm a type of person who constantly worried about my future. Anyone else with me? Future, future warrior. Okay, I'm one of them. There's this constant fear and worry whenever I think about tomorrow. Okay, maybe that's you as well. I mean, so you don't know whether you should live in Indonesia or Sydney. You don't know what job to take. You worry about your children. You worry about your job. You worry about your relationship. You are constantly worried and you know this is not from God. God does not want you to live in fear. So what do you do? What do you do is you open specific promise of God that deal with your situation. Okay, this is similar to what the exercise I showed you a couple of weeks ago, but different verses. We talked about the birds last time. We talked about today, we talked about the verses after that that deal specifically about fear of tomorrow. Matthew 6, verse 31 to 34 says this. 
Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need more. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Amen? Amen. I know you say amen. But if you stop there, so if you read God's promises and you say, amen, I believe that, and you stop there, that's good, but not good enough. Because what you need to do is to ponder on it. You need to think. You need to talk to your mind. Okay, this is how I talk to my mind. Yossi, why do I worry? Why do you worry? Well, I'm worried because I have this certain expectation how tomorrow will unfold, and I'm not sure if things will go out my way. I do not know what will happen tomorrow. I worry because I do not want, know what the future holds. And if whatever happens, I don't know what it, I have what it takes to face tomorrow. Well, okay, that's the reason I'm worried. But what does the Word of God say? Well, it's what the Word of God say. I ponder. I think. I say this. The Word of God says, I should not be anxious about tomorrow. God does not want me to worry about tomorrow. Why? Because God wants me to care about today. God already knows what I need tomorrow. But God only guarantees grace today for challenges today. And God guarantees grace tomorrow for challenges tomorrow. God does not give grace today for challenges tomorrow. Sufficient for today, for the day, is its own trouble. That means God who supply me with grace today will not fail to supply me with grace tomorrow. Which means I don't have to worry about the grace that I need next week tomorrow in September on 2024. Because the reality is today is August 27, and I have been given the grace for August 27. And when August 28 comes, God will give me grace for August 28. My Heavenly Father already knows tomorrow and what I need tomorrow. And He will give me what I need when tomorrow comes. So I don't need to worry about tomorrow. Now, see the difference between just reading the Word of God and pondering on the Word of God? Because now you start talking to your mind. So rather than letting worry talk to your mind, you talk God's Word into your mind. Anxiety and worry happen when you forget that God is sitting on a throne and He's in control of all things. Anxiety begins when we think thoughts that are not true, not honorable, not just, not pure, not lovely, not commendable, or not praiseworthy. Then we spiral down into despair and discouragement, and this emotion lead us to being harsh and unhelpful to people around us. And we are missing out on the life that God has in store for us. So the way to guard against anxiety is to pray about everything and talk to our mind. Which led me to my third point. Simply this. Practice the truth. First nine. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice this thing, and the God of peace will be with you. Listen carefully. You know this. You know this instinctively. It is not how much we know that makes a difference. It is what we do, what we know that makes a difference. 
Paul is clear here. He said, what you have learned and received and heard and seen, it means all the truth that you know, practice this thing. So we need to not only know how to guard against anxiety, but we need to practice what we know. So that means if we hear God's word in Philippians 4 on how to battle against anxiety, but then we don't do it, let me tell you, the word of God will do us no good. So if we hear on how to battle against anxiety and we say, wow, that's very helpful, but we don't pray about everything and we don't speak God's truth into our mind, then we will not experience the peace of God. Now, I know this is not gun-breaking. This is logical, but it's extremely crucial. Knowledge is great, but knowledge that is not put into practice is useless. God has already promised His peace for us, but it does not come automatically. It requires us to practice this thing. And the word practice means that we won't have it all together in the first go. It means that we need to continuously do it throughout our lives. It does not matter how long you've been Christian, five days, five years, 50 years. We still need to practice this thing to God against anxiety. And let me promise you, the moment you think that you have it all together and stop practicing this is the moment the enemy attack you with fear and anxiety. In my preparation for this sermon, uh, I read a sermon by Tony Evans, and he gave a very helpful, practical way of doing this. Okay? If you work in childcare, you've seen this before. It's called a worry box. So what do you do with a worry box? Okay? So what do you do is this. I mean, this is brilliant inside. You can try it at home. I think it's very helpful. What you do is create a box and label it a worry box. And whenever you are worried about something, take a piece of paper, write down your worry, and put it in a worry box. And as you do that, pray to God. God, this is my worry. I'm bringing my worry to you. I know you are good. I know you're in control. So I'm casting all my care on you. I'm giving my worry to you, and I'm leaving the result in your sovereign hand. Put it in the box. And once you pray, and once you put your worry in the box, go on about your day. And it's gonna, what's going to happen? The enemy will try to attack you. He's going to tempt you to look back at the box and pick up your worry. Why? Because he wants you to doubt God and take the matter back into your hand, hand, your own hand. But don't do it. You battle that temptation how? By speaking the truth of God's word into your mind. So when the enemy now attacks you, grab it, grab it, bring it again, you ponder on God's promises until your heart is at rest. And when the enemy attacks again, ponder on God's promises again. Do this continuously. And do you know what's going to happen? Paul says, what a wonderful promise. Paul says that if you practice this thing, listen to this, the God of peace will be with you. Now listen carefully. This is different from verse 7. In verse 7, Paul promises that when we pray about everything, the supernatural peace of God will be with us. That peace of God will guard us from the enemy's attack. But in first time, Paul says, when we continue to practice this thing, the God of peace will be with us. Not only His peace, but God Himself will be with us. We must get this. That means peace is not found in the absence of problems. 
Peace is found in the presence of God. See, one time there was a contest between two painters to paint a picture of peace. Interesting. So one painter painted this sunset with the sun going down over calm water and everything was just nice and bright. Peaceful, right? The other painter painted a picture of a storm. The sky was dark and there were lightning, thunders, and tic-tac clouds. The waves were crashing against the rocks and things were chaotic. But at the bottom corner of the painting were two big stones with a bird singing in the middle. That's peace. Peace is not when the sun is bright, the weather is nice, and everything is calm. Peace is when we are singing, even though the storm is still raging. Do you know why? Because what God does when He gives us peace is He gives us an umbrella in the middle of the storm. That umbrella doesn't stop the storm, but that umbrella keeps us from getting wet. When God gives us peace, God is inviting us. He says, you can stand under my umbrella. But God not only gives us an umbrella. He's what's beautiful. He is with us under that umbrella. He's standing beside us under that umbrella in the middle of the storm. That's peace. Here's the question that I want to ask you, and I'm done. How do we know that the God of peace is with us? How can we be sure that we can have the peace of God? Here's how. We can have the peace of God and the God of peace with us when we have peace with God. Let me say it one more time. We can have the peace of God and the God of peace with us when we have peace with God. Unless we have peace with God, we won't have the peace of God and the God of peace. And that is why Paul says in Philippians 4 verse 7, he says this, And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your heart and your mind in whom? In Christ Jesus. That means this peace is only possible in Christ Jesus because the truth is we did not deserve peace. What we deserve is deep restlessness. What we deserve is to be constantly worried and anxious about the future in our life. Why? Because we know we were enemies of God. We sinned against God and we turned away from God. We removed God from the throne of our heart and replaced it with idol. But rather than giving us what we deserve, Jesus came and took what we deserve. And that is why we find at the cross, Jesus experienced deep restlessness and anxiety. God turned his face from Jesus, and for the very first time, Jesus lost the very presence of God. Jesus lost God's peace, and that is why he died in agony, screaming. Question, why did Jesus lose God's peace? So that when we put our faith in Jesus, we can have God's presence. See, Jesus lost his peace so that we could have peace with God. And this peace with God would lead us to the peace of God 
and the God of peace. That is the gospel, my friend. If we see what Jesus has done for us, if we see what Jesus has suffered for us, if we put our faith in Jesus, then we can be sure, we can be sure that God will never, ever leave us. So today, if you have yet to make peace with God, there's an offer for you. Jesus died for your sin so that you could have peace that surpasses all understanding. All you have to do is surrender to Christ and put your trust in Him as your Lord and Savior. And for us who have put our faith in Jesus, remember this. This peace with God is something that no one can take away from you. Do not believe the light of the enemy. No one can take the peace with God that He has given you. Know that no sickness, no trouble, no threat, no suffering can take that peace from you. But at the same time, it does not mean we do not do anything. Because God has designed and ordained the universe in such a way that we will experience the peace of God and the God of peace when we pray to Him about everything and feed our mind with His Word continuously. The peace that we have with God enables us to come to Him in prayer about everything, to bring about our requests to Him in everything, and then feed our mind with His promises, knowing that Jesus has purchased that promise for you and me at the cross. So now, we not only have the peace with God, we have the peace of God and the God of peace with us. Never assume that God will do for us apart from prayer what He has promised for us only through prayer. And maybe the reason why we are constantly anxious is because we do not pray about everything. Or maybe we pray, but you know, we're so sneaky. We continue to open the worry box instead of trusting God with it and feed our mind with His promises. So today, make a decision to practice this thing. Here's my promise. I'm not promising that if you practice this thing, God will give you what you ask. Oh, no. The storm might not end. The sickness might still be there. The problem might not go away. The gossip and slander might not stop. The business might collapse. We might lose everything. But here's the promise. The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard our heart and mind in Christ Jesus. So that we can say, whatever my Lord, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well, it is well with my soul. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we are so grateful that you have made a way for us to have peace with you. That we who deserve to be punished, in fact, today we are given privilege to come into your throne and to bring our prayer and supplication to you. What a joy it is. And God, I pray that today we are reminded, Lord, that this is a privilege, that prayer is a joy. Prayer is not a duty. 
pray. It's a privilege that you have given us to come to you and to rest in you, to trust you as our Heavenly Father. Not only that, but also to fill our mind with your promises that you have purchased for us at the cross. And I know, God, it's so much easier for us to worry about our life on our own. So much easier for us to try to do things on our own. And yet we confess it only leads to more anxiety. But I pray that we learn today, Lord, to cast our anxiety on you because you care for us. So teach us, Lord, to be prayerful about everything, to come to you, bring our supplication with thanksgiving, and continue to remind ourselves of the promises that we have that you have bought for us at the cross. And we can confidently say that the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard our heart and mind in Christ Jesus. And in Jesus Christ we pray.